You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Well, as we've mentioned several times, series title for November, which is the month we celebrate, Thanksgiving. And so this is, we're calling this the month for gratitude. And even, even in the natural world, Thanksgiving reminds us each year to count our blessings. And, um, being thankful is an essential part of our spiritual formation. We've talked a lot over the last, um, two sermon series about spiritual formation. So we want to look at this this morning. In Paul's epistles, he mentioned being thankful almost 50 times. 50 times. I think it's actually 46, but it depends on how you uh, count some of the things he said. But it was central to his spiritual life. So why is being thankful important? Well, it's, it becomes an experiential pathway to experience the goodness of God. We need to really acknowledge life, being alive, just being alive, is a precious gift that God's given us. And the more we appreciate what he has given us, the more we experience his goodness. To not be thankful also carries consequences. Paul said in Romans 1, he's talking about being how everyone can know God even from creation, simply from creation. There's sufficient evidence to know there's a God. So he writes in verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, listen to the next phrase, nor were thankful. They did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. So what we see is that a lack of gratitude makes us vulnerable to futile thinking. That's another word for purposelessness, futility, purposelessness. And a lack of gratitude leads to foolish thoughts and actions and can lead to a downward spiral of hopelessness. So it's very interesting. The emphasis Paul puts on the lack of gratitude. Now, the, the thing we need to recognize is God's not holding a pistol to our head saying, be thankful. But the reality of it is he has done something so remarkable for, remarkable for us simply in being alive, for one thing, never mind the gospel, uh, the things that Jesus did and through his passion. But if we see that accurately, it elicits thanksgiving. It elicits gratitude, and gratitude has a number of amazing um, things that it brings with it. So lack of gratitude darkens our minds and reduces our perception of God's goodness. How many of you have really gotten upset 
and gone on a complaining tour only to discover things got better. <laughs> but got better. Well, that's, there's always exception to the rule. <laughs> but being grateful actually affects the chemistry of our minds. In other words, it's part of our design. In short, gratitude can boost, everybody understands this, I'm sure, neurotransmitter serotonin and activates the brain stem to produce dopamine. How many of you did not know that? Everybody knew that. Great. I have uh, only Brendan actually responding to my message this morning. So I'm certainly glad you're here, Brendan. It would be very lonely up here without you this morning. So the rest of you take the rest of the day off. We're good. At the molecular level, gratitude is associated with the neuropeptide oxytocin. Need that neuropeptide, ladies and gentlemen. And with the release, I've mentioned before, of dopamine and serotonin. So dopamine is our brain's pleasure chemical. The more we think positive, grateful thoughts, the healthier and happier we feel. So that is really, really good. It also said that the Cerebral networks and neurotransmitters are responsible for enhanced mood, willpower, and motivation. And counterintuitively, the act of giving and prosocial behavior can become addictive. So if you're ever going to get addicted to something, get addicted to being grateful and thankful because the benefits are incredible. One of the famous... Um, verses or things that Paul wrote um, is First Thessalonians 5.18. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Well, when I, I think about giving thanks in everything, I, I think that's hard. How many of you know that's hard? It's not normal. But what we're going to see this morning in situation after situation after situation, we're going to see um, biblical accounts of the importance different people in the Bible put on Thanksgiving and how they actually um, use that in their daily lives in, in many crazy situations. So Paul says, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And you think, well, good enough for you, Paul. You're an apostle. You can be thankful all the time. Well, if you're going to fully appreciate what Paul is saying, we need to place this encouragement to us of always being thankful clearly in the context of his life experience. In his early days of misdirected devotion, Paul was a great enemy of the church. He actually describes himself this way. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. Acts chapter 22. But we find on the Damascus Road, while pursuing Christians to imprison them, he experienced a dramatic conversion. And so you know this story, most of you probably do. Um, on the road to Damascus, a great light shone, knocked Paul off his horse, and the Lord said to him, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And so he said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. And 
So Paul was knocked off his horse. When he stood up, he was blind. He was led by the hand into Damascus. So the Lord sent a man to him named Ananias to pray for him and restore his uh, sight. But Ananias was afraid of Paul, obviously, because of his reputation. And so when the Lord spoke to Ananias, he said, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. And then listen to the essence of Paul's calling. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my, for my name's sake. So in Paul's unique calling, one of the characteristics of that calling would be the many things he was going to have to suffer because of his dedication to Jesus. So when you hear Paul saying everything, give thanks. What did he go through? that he was saying you should always give thanks in. I know that's terrible grammar. Well, what happened to Paul? Is Paul uh, just in encouraging us to be thankful? Well, here's what happened to Paul. This is the list of the things Paul went through. He writes in 2 Corinthians. He says, in labors more abundant, in stripes that's being beaten, above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. All right, that would be enough right there. That's a rough life. Who, who, who would say that's a pretty rough life? We got a rough life already. That's just the first verse. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. No, never get on a boat with Paul. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily? My deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. So Paul lays all this out. That's remarkable that he is the man who can say with all confidence in everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. And then he remembers, oh, by the way, under Aretas, the king of Damascus, he was guarding the city with a garrison desiring to arrest me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped. Oh yeah, he remembered <laughs> one other terrible thing that happened to him. Okay, therefore, when Paul describes what the will of God is, as in, in everything giving thanks, we need to realize he wasn't functioning from a place of idealism, 
but of suffering. And from a place also of significant insight and intentional spiritual formation. He understood that Thanksgiving maintained his practical connection to the Lord, even in times of hardship. It became Paul's functional, practical lifeline to the life of God. How many of you can say, that's great. That's great. That's part of our warfare. Because there's so many reasons in our minds, which where the battle goes on, not to be thankful. But Paul focused on being thankful at all times, as I mentioned in his letters, his epistles. He mentioned it, I think, forty between 46 and 50 times. Well, then there was one of the shipwrecks Paul talked about. Actually, I'm covering Thanksgiving a little bit different than the way I have in the past. Any of you have been around for a while, you're going to realize I'm not uh, using a lot of the things I'm normally used, but I'm trying to see in context of people's lives how important this was and how important it is to, to us. So Paul was on a ship on his way to Rome and found himself at sea in like a 14-day storm. Can you imagine being in a two-week storm in a seagoing vessel? At a given point, when all hope of survival failed them, Paul had a visitation from an angel. And this is what he said to the, to, um, the fellow travelers. He said, I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. Good word. 14 days in a hurricane, in a boat. Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, Paul said, for I believe God, that it will be just as it was told me. However, we will run aground on a certain island. So then on the 14th day, Paul says this, and as the day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, today is the 14th day. You have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival. Since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. So 14 days into this storm, they had apparently eaten little to nothing. An angel has appeared to Paul, told him they're going to be all right. So what does Paul do? Here's what he did. He took bread, gave thanks to God. There it is again. In the middle of this storm, took bread, gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged. All of them ate. And there were 276 people. Well, the boat falls apart. All 276 people made it safely to shore, although some of them were floating on logs and planks and, and parts of the boat. But what, what should we think about that? This, Paul was serious about being thankful. Thanksgiving is a powerful and effective practice, even in the midst of our storms. Maybe you're in a storm today. Maybe things look bleak. I don't know. 
But one of the things, one of the tools God has given us is thanksgiving. Then we find Paul in prison. On another occasion, Paul and Silas were put in prison for preaching the gospel. You can find this in Acts 16. And the Phillips translation reads this way. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They were being thankful. That's practical thanksgiving. Praying and singing hymns while the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake big enough to shake the foundations of the prison. Immediately, all the doors flew open and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the doors of the prison had been opened, he drew his sword and was on the point of killing himself, for he imagined that all the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out to him at the top of his voice, don't hurt yourself, we are all here. So a lot of remarkable things in this episode. First of all is that none of the prisoners left when the doors were opened. The idea was um, the keeper of the prison, if he lost any prisoners, uh, they would take his life for having lost them. And so if you read the rest of the story, Paul leads the prisoner, his entire family to the Lord, and he baptizes all of them. But here's a question. Was there a relationship between Paul's gratitude and the earthquake? Or was it just a coincidence? That's a good question. Was there a relationship between Paul's gratitude and the earthquake? Or was it just a coincidence? And how was it that the earthquake opened the doors and unfastened their chains instead of collapsing on everyone and killing them? That's a good question too, isn't it? Well, it could have been heaven's response to Paul and Silas rejoicing. I believe it is. A lot of people won't, but I believe it was. Or why would he put it in there? Why would he couch all this together? Can you imagine God would actually shake the earth in response to two men's gratitude? Is that too much to believe? I think it is. But the Bible's too much to believe. It could have been heaven's response. I like that. That's what I'm going with. I'm going with it was. (laughs) That's my policy. Let God be true and every man a liar. That's a great verse. It doesn't really fit in here, but having crossed my mind, I uttered it. Maybe somebody needs to be blessed for that. Anyway, when we've studied the scripture, we find another or many other great examples of the effect and importance of being thankful. For instance, Jesus was thankful for what he had in the face of great lack and significant need. We find this in, um, in the gospel of Matthew chapter 14. Um, Jesus was preaching to the multitude and When he saw them, he was moved with compassion, healed their sick. And when it was evening, his disciples said, Jesus, this is a deserted place and it's late. Send them away that they can go get something to eat. So the disciples wanted the multitudes to go find their own food. But Jesus decided he wanted to do something about it with the help of his disciples. So we find this also in John chapter 6. Verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, 
There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Well, Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to everyone else. So the Bible tells us they were all filled and Jesus told them to gather up what remains. And when they did, there were 12 baskets of fragments and there was more left over than what they started with. When Jesus didn't have enough, here's what he did. He thanked God for what he had and he gave it away. I have something I do. I know it's, it sounds peculiar and some may even question my sanity for doing it. But one of the things I do whenever I find change, I mentioned this before and actually I, I put um, a 56 cent offering in addition to what my wife and I always give, into an envelope. Because over the last couple of months, that's how much change I've found that nobody else has been over and picked up. But I've had the Lord show me the power and value of being grateful for little things. And I actually had a friend of mine who had a dream that when I found change, I would pick it up, I would pray over it, I would thank God for it, I would command it to increase, and then I would give it away. And I've done that probably through COVID. How many of you know COVID was a pretty rough month? You probably come up with new things to do. <laughs> but I have watched, even in the finances of the church, some amazing gifts, and even in my own life, some amazing thing happen, happens when I acknowledge the smallness of something and offer sincere gratitude for it. I don't think we understand how significant that is. Now, you may not do what I do, but I have my reasons. But thanksgiving and generosity were the two responses Jesus made to lack. Giving with joy and in faith is a major key to multiplication and prosperity in this pathway to blessing. I have heard people denounce prosperity preachers, but I believe in prosperity myself, right? I mean, you have to think through it. Now, maybe not the extreme manipulative controlling forms of prosperity, but who in their right mind prays to become poor? Who in their right mind hopes they don't have enough to make it? And who has a dad who doesn't want to help their children do well? Come on. And there's so many verses in the New Testament. I mean, Paul, um, in the context of tithes and offerings, uses the example of farmers sowing seed. And if you sow 
a little seed, you get a small harvest. If you sow big seed, you get a big harvest. Now, you cannot simply throw that out of the Bible because some people have taken advantage of it. Because if you throw it out of the Bible and you throw it out of your life, you actually distance yourself from one of the processes God has given you to expand and grow and multiply in your life so that you can do well, preach the gospel to people, be kind to people, have resources for people. So that was what Jesus practiced. But Jesus practiced way more than that. When he was about to give his body and shed his blood for our salvation, he thanked God in the last supper, in that communion, in the context of the deep suffering he was going to experience. He thanked God that he could do that. I don't think we understand sometimes what it is to, to be a real believer. People suffer a lot of things. But there's one idea that I think is really worth considering. Perhaps some of your suffering is not for you, not because of you, and not a punishment or a discipline or anything of that order, but someone needs what you learned through what you suffered. And you are not living for yourself, you're living for others. That is the essence of following Jesus right there. It's not all about us. It's not. It's not. One thing fathers want to tell their sons is wisdom based on the things they've suffered. Now, David gave thanks in the midst of circumstances of gross injustice. Psalm 69. Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. They are mighty who would destroy me, being my enemies wrongfully. Then later on, he says, I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or a bull which has horns and hooves. He's talking about a, a, an a offering of an animal in the old sacrificial concept. He said, this shall please the Lord better than any kind of sacrifice I could give him. And the humble shall see this and they'll be glad. My goodness. This shall also please the Lord more than any kind of sacrifice. And you know David's story. He was quite imperfect. But how many times did God deliver him time and again? And then there's Jonah. Jonah thanked the Lord in the midst of trouble that resulted from his disobedience and the Lord delivered him. How many of you remember the story of Jonah? Called to preach to the Ninevites. Now, if you don't, uh, haven't read history, the Ninevites, the Ninevites were ruthless warriors. If they came and took over your town, here's what they would do. They would cut off your hands, your feet, your heads, and they would pile all that in the middle of the t in the town square as a testimony to who won. 
that was a Ninevite. So God called Jonah to go preach to the Ninevites and Jonah got in a boat and went in the opposite direction. And there was some understanding in his behavior. Well, you know, the rest of the story, a storm came and uh, everybody on the boat was trying to figure out why the storm wouldn't stop. And they finally did this decided it's because Jonah had disobeyed the Lord and they should throw him overboard. Now, you don't want to get on a boat with Paul and you don't want to get on a boat with those people Jonah got on that boat with, trust me. But so they throw Jonah overboard and he was agreeing to it. Some of these stories, you know. But Jesus sort of affirmed it. He Anyway, Jonah gets swaddled alive by a great fish. And so Jonah is in this um, belly of this great fish assessing his options, you could say. And um, so he prayed. The Bible says, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols or lying vanities forsake their own mercy. For I will sacrifice to you, here's what Jonah prayed, in the bellies. Whale fish's belly. I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. My goodness. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation of the Lord. And the next verse said, So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So Jonah got uh, re vomited into the will of God. But part of it was with with thanksgiving. That's probably the strangest place anyone ever praised the Lord in. But one could say that thanksgiving connected Jonah to the experiential mercy and deliverance of God. Even in a situation where he deserved, I mean, it's like he owned, you know, he did that to himself. How many of you have gotten into messes and felt like, There's no way out. I don't deserve a way out. Well, there's several ways to look at this. Nobody deserves a way out. You you know, one of the things that struck me, the whole thing about entitlement, entitlement mentality wars against uh, gratitude. And one of the things I began to notice uh, during COVID was how often the word deserve showed up in commercials. You deserve, you deserve, you deserve. You deserve over and over and over, whether it was banks or insurance or um, just bunches of them. Well, no one of us ever truly deserves what God wants to do on our behalf. Well, Jonah had intentionally done the wrong thing. Still, God delivered him. I think that is so important. Then there was Daniel. I won't go into all this, 
but this is over and over in the Bible. Daniel um, was made the head of all the uh, spiritual advisors in the kingdom that Belshazzar ruled. And he was godly. Other men were jealous. And so they came up with the process of entrapping Daniel. They told the king that he should make a decree that for the next 30 days, anyone who prayed to a God, to a God other than the king should be thrown in the lion's den. And Daniel realized that. He knew the king had signed that decree. And so it says, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house. Now his windows were open in his chamber toward Jerusalem. And he kneeled upon his knees three times a day. Somebody say three times a day. Three times a day. What did he intentionally do? Three times a day, he prayed and gave thanks before his God, just as he always did. Well, you know the rest of the story. They threw him into the lion's den and God shut the mouths of the lions. But one thing this example shows is how important it was for Daniel to offer thanksgiving and to pray no matter the cost. It was part of his spiritual uh, lives. One of the most... One of the biggest and most difficult transitions in my life was from the business world into pastoring. Uh, some of you may not know, but I worked in business for 20 years before I did this full time. And the last seven years of those 20 years, I worked for, a, um, I was a manufacturer's representative and we sold food service equipment. But I spent much of my energy during those years complaining about my job and being frustrated about a call that I knew I had to ministry. Now, some of you may be called to ministry. You know, I was 40 um, before I actually did this full time. And so uh, the standard way in is not always seminary and, and that. But I spent a lot of that time complaining why I couldn't, do the thing I felt so deeply that was in my heart to do. And then I read a, a book a friend of mine wrote, and one of the points he made was that all of the Israelites who escaped Egypt through the Red Sea, very few of them made it into the promised land because of their murmuring and complaining. And I thought, you mean you can die in the wilderness because you complained? I thought, I don't want to die in my, um, and not fulfill, not see the reality of the promises God's given me in my life. So I told Donna, you've heard the end of my complaints. I'm done. And it was hard because just as uh, gratitude develops pathways, it literally in your mind, complaining does too. And you've got to overcompensate for some of that. It really needs to be intentional, not just when you feel like it. 
So when I began to practice Thanksgiving in an intentional way within a few months, my entire life had changed. I transitioned from the workplace into full-time pastoral ministry. A guy actually gave me a church. And that was sort of a blessing and a curse, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) But in life, that's a terrible thing to say, Robin. Well, it's too late. (laughs) Uh, I apologize for being honest about it. But anyway, what am I concluding today? Being thankful is important when you're in a storm. Being thankful is important when you're in a prison. Being thankful is important when you don't have enough. Being thankful is important even when you're in a time of sacrifice. Being thankful is important in the midst of being treated unjustly. Being thankful is important when you need deliverance from what you deserve and being thankful is important to become part of your daily spiritual formation. But gratitude can preserve you through your storm, deliver you from prison, multiply what you have, embolden your time of sacrifice, sustain you in times of injustice, deliver you from the consequences of your own disobedience, become a bedrock of your faith and a pathway to continually experience the goodness, peace, presence, and blessings of God. Now, how many of you want to commit yourself further to a life of gratitude? Why don't you just stand up? I'm going to stand up too because this is always important. Lord, this is our choice. This is our decision. Come up here. Josiah, why don't you go ahead and close out the meeting? But I do want to pray. Father, thank you so much. Um. For the truths you give us that are counterintuitive. It's not what we think works. Lord, thank you for opening our eyes. Lord, cause um, any of the darkness, any of the futility. I, I pray, I break off in Jesus' name. Any of that futility, any of that hopelessness that comes from thinking um, wrong thoughts, seeing things from the dark side, not understanding who it is, God, you are and what it is you have done for us. And Lord, I break agreement personally with any bitterness, any complaint, any ingratitude or lack of thanksgiving. And Lord, I now ask you for a grace. Grant us the grace to be grateful for all. Give us grace for grace, Lord. Grant us grace to be grateful always in whatever place, situation, condition we find ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. 